Ram was great. Four great cities, new documentary. Water for decorative fountains in upper class houses. And water for the numerous public baths. Eight aqueducts brought millions of litres of water into the city every day. The arch was a Roman invention, as was cement. It was these lightweight arches that made the aqueducts possible. But eventually, even the finest spring water ends its run as stinking sewage. The stench pervaded all of Rome, even the fallen Romanum. Here, there were temples honoring the gods. Here, the Senate conferred and created policies, and high society used to meet. At the Forum Romanum is the entrance to the city's underworld. Today is closed to tourists. The famous Cloaca Maxima. Why? Why is it closed to tourists? Because <coughs> there's All leads. of Rome's sewage, both the refuse and the human waste, flows through here. Rome's sewers. More than 2,000 years ago, Rome already had a sewerage system. Nevertheless, Large quantities of sewage and rubbish ended up in the streets. Looks Back pretty then, clean today. Oil lamps burned in the niches of these dark tunnels. They provided a feeble light for the work of maintenance crews. The sewers frequently blocked and had to be cleaned regularly. 600 meters of the Coaco Maxima are still part of today's system. In spite of its aqueducts and sewerage system, Rome suffers from a lack of hygiene. Es war nicht so gesund in Rom zu leben. Das lag the numerous aqueducts didn't supply the households. The water people drank came from the Tiber. Sewage went straight into the Tiber. Diseases such as typhoid occurred daily. There was a further source of danger. There was a dirt of dust in the air. Our diseases were very common at the time. So the city's water supply was also a source of disease. This was centuries before organisms were known to cause disease, so people resorted to home remedies. Cabbage, for instance, was said to be a cure, even uh -huh. for cancer. Well, the life expectancy was roughly about 30 years of age, unless for women who happened to die in childbirth. <coughs> it didn't mean you had to expect death in 30. <laughs> but many died very early, especially children. If you survived the worst and had a good environment, a Roman would live up to the age of 60. But by then he was an old man and worn out. Huh. The health funny about centers that of too. Roman cities were the hot spring baths. Only wealthy Romans could afford doctors. Satyrs or satyrs. Most came from Greece, like Galen. He started his Roman career as doctor to the gladiators and later became the emperor's personal physician. 
Many Romans had already finished work by lunchtime and spent the rest of the afternoon at the baths. Like a cherubim? Enjoyed the baths. cherubim? Or had a massage. <coughs> Here they were able to leave the dusty streets and hectic pace of city life behind. Roman baths. The Roman I've been to Bath, England. Houses the largest collection of objects and Graham Hancock lives in Bath. Hmm. Or he did. In the laboratories, specialists work tirelessly to preserve this heritage. The marble for these statues often came from far away, some of it from North Africa. Wealthy hmm. Romans commissioned these works to decorate their homes. <laughs> But it was not the artist. How'd they do that? He transformed <coughs> a smile with this clinically proven oh, discovery yeah. that has naturally whitened teeth without expensive right. dental. And artisans who were admired, it was the buyers. Beautiful objects gave the owners a higher social status and they enjoyed flaunting it. Everything can be Much found like today. in the museum storerooms. From the simplest objects for daily use to magnificent artifacts from the Emperor's Palace. Last is 33 Lamborghinis. <laughs> These objects are eloquent about the city's splendor, but also about people whose lives were spent in the shadows. I diversi materiali che le differenti classi sociali potevano disporre nella Roma d'età imperiale Giovanna Bandini, erano determinati dalla disponibilità economica che queste classi potevano Pertanto, per quanto concerne l'illuminazione, noi possiamo avere una statistica abbastanza esemplificativa. Per esempio, per le classi più elevate, noi abbiamo lucene di bronzo, come questa che stiamo mostrando. Per le classi medie, invece, Possiamo trovare lucerne invetriate, cioè di ceramica ricoperte da vetro, in tutto e per tutto simili a quelle di bronzo, però non di metallo. In ultimo, per le classi povere, noi abbiamo esemplificazioni di lucerne in terracotte prive di rivestimento. Terracotta. The Romans were fond of surrounding themselves with beautiful things. Even objects for daily use were created with an artistic sense. The humblest cooking utensils were decorated. Money. Everyone in Rome knew that anything could be bought with money. Even boats and official positions, traders and informed. <clears throat> Rome never slept. Night was the time for delivering everything which would be needed the following day. But those who moved through Rome's dark streets at night had to be wary, and not just of gangs of robbers.
Augustus knows that arresting Petronius is only a question of time and money. I always felt that in another life I was a Roman senator's daughter. Really a powerlessness. <coughs> Reincarnated as a woman. <laughs> Just give me a challenge. Among the last drinkers, the arrest causes only a slight stir. But for Petronius, it is the beginning of a nightmare from which there will be no <coughs> The <coughs> above was the arena. Down here stretches a labyrinth of narrow alleys and tiny chambers. Until recently, not all their functions were known. The architectural historian, Heinz-Jürgen Wester, has studied this complex minutely. He has concluded that the structures beneath the floor of the arena were part of an elaborate stage machinery that could suddenly release starving lions, panthers and tigers into the arena. Mm -hmm. With more I've than a hundred performances per Roman year, Coliseum. the Colosseum had to come up with more and more sensational acts to keep the public interested. There is alleys in the empty, but you must imagine them filled by a lift system, transporting items necessary to the theater, they guaranteed a perfect performance. <coughs> What appeared miraculous to the spectators was really hard work performed by a skilled stage crew below the arena's wooden floor. While the crowds roared in their seats above, teams of soldiers, slaves and animal tamers were busy below running the stage machinery. Nowhere else could Romans get so close to their emperor. For him, the behavior of the crowds was a barometer of public sentiment. At times, he could even be booed. People and emperor watched the same spectacle. Despite the cruelty of combatants being stabbed or mauled to death for the audience, it was merely another entertainment. People would bring food during the games. Or on the breaks. They could buy refreshments. That stall set up inside the Colosseum. What the excavations revealed was refuse in the form of nuts and peach and other fruit pits which were swept down as far as the lower floor. Oh, I'd love to uh, get my hands on some of those pits. 50,000 people enjoyed watching men and women fight for their lives. Petronius has cheated the emperor and can expect no mercy. 
with murderers and temple robbers who waits to make his entrance. Got a lady there. prisoners must fight lions and bears for public amusement. Huh. <coughs> kind of like today. <clears throat> Many gladiators were highly trained professional fighters who could achieve recognition and even wealth. Some of them became celebrated stars, adored by a fanatical public. That is, as long as they managed to stay alive. At the Colosseum, the law was kill or be killed. Captain Drusus does not want to miss this spectacle, especially as it's his day off. He's looking forward to exciting games and unforgettable fights that will be talked about for days. <coughs> Not unlike sporting events in today's world. Yeah, just like them. Football's brutal. People are dying on the fucking field. But there was some criticism as well. Paralyzed. This is how the philosopher and politician Seneca condemned it. Man, once sacred to his own kind, is now murdered for amusement as if it were a game. People find the killing of one man at the hands of another a welcome spectacle. It's pretty sick. Just, just, society can be pretty fucking sick. Visitors from all the provinces gathered at the world's largest arena to see the famous gladiators fight each other. Rome was mighty <coughs> and it was merciless. The Roman Empire lasted a thousand years. Its centre was the great city of Rome. With all the advantages of big city Wolf, life, snipples. there were problems as well. Once Python did a with a million inhabitants struggled with problems such as traffic congestion, housing shock. They did a skit about uh, it well it was in Life of Brian, Wolf's nipples they were selling. Um <clears throat> Monty Python, Wolf Nipple Chips. Huh. Larks, tongues, wrens, livers, <coughs> chaffinch, brains, jaguars, earlobes, wolf nipple chips, get them while they're hot. Pretty Roman food, tea, life of brands, grumpy people's front of Jodea. Huh. Okay, here we go. <coughs> Wolf nipple chips. Friends, 
Wolf nipple chips. <coughs> Wolf nipple chips, exclamation point, LOL. The Roman Colosseum part reminds me so much of the Monty Python segments of the Life of Brian scene, exclamation point. and crime. Problems which routinely appear where a great number of people live together. They existed then as they do now, and they yeah. will most likely exist in the future. <clears throat> oh, it's over. Wolf nipple chips. Four great mag cities of the ancient worlds. Okay. Ooh, oh my gosh. That looks great, but the, what life was like in ancient Alexandria. But I do want to get caught up on the news. Go to democracynow.org. Go to democracynow.org. Opening webpage. Okay, Tuesday, January 10. By the way, PHS for, for um, suppressing my podcast. If you hear this, do us all a favor and fuck up their algorithm and share my shit. From New York, this is Democracy Now! Therefore, I hold that this is the moment for us to determine to do away with this abandonment, this disdain, and this forgetfulness for Latin America and the Caribbean. Mexican President Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador has called on the United States to stop treating Latin America with disdain. Anla made the comments to President Biden, who's visiting Mexico for the North American Leaders Summit. We'll also going to discuss our shared security, including our joint action to address the, the plague of fentanyl, which has killed 100,000 Americans so far, and how we can tackle, tackle irregular migration, which I think we're well on our way to doing. We'll talk about the summit with two guests in Mexico City, then look at the 100th anniversary of the Rosewood Massacre in Florida, when an armed white mob attacked the predominantly black town in central Florida, 
The mob killed at least six black residents and burned nearly all buildings to the ground. We'll speak to a professor whose grandfather survived the massacre. And we talked to former NAACP President Ben Jealous about his new memoir, Never Forget Our People Were Always Free, a parable of American healing. All that and more coming up. Welcome to Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. Republicans in the House of Representatives have approved a new rules package that'll gut the Office of Mm. Congressional Ethics. Of course. The measure will force out three of the four Democrats currently serving on the office's board of directors and will severely limit the office's ability to hire new workers, including investigative staffers. Another provision in the new rules package allows a single lawmaker to force a vote on ousting the House Speaker. It was a concession made by newly minted Republican House Speaker Kevin McCarthy to win the support of far-right members of his party. Democrats also warned McCarthy appears to have struck informal agreements with fellow Republicans. This is Massachusetts Democratic Congress member Jim McGovern. You know, everybody's talking about transparency and openness. It would be nice if there was a little bit more transparency and openness on the other side. I mean, if I volunteer for the Congress of Congressional... That's what this is about. Secret deals that no one's going to know anything about until it's too late. In their first order of business, Republicans approved legislation slashing funding to the IRS in a party-line vote, 221 to 210. Critics say the bill is designed to protect wealthy individuals and corporate tax cheats. In Brazil, at least 1,500 people have been detained since Sunday's assault on the Brazilian Congress, Supreme Court, and Presidential Palace by supporters of the former far-right President Jair Bolsonaro in the capital, Brasilia. Brazil's Justice Minister, Flavio Dino, spoke Monday. The former president of the republic, Jair Bolsonaro, and all of his followers, for example, frequently targeted attacks against the Supreme Court. That is why I say that words have power, especially when they are words of the president of the republic. The president exercises factual material powers, but also exercises symbolic powers, which include the power of words. What we witnessed was that this frequent discourse in social media gained legs, arms, stones, bullets, bombs. Here in the United States, a group of Democratic Congress members, including Ilhan Omar and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, are urging President Biden to expel Bolsonaro from the U.S. The far-right leader has been staying in Orlando, Florida, after he fled Brazil ahead of the inauguration of President Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva last week. Bolsonaro faces at least four criminal probes in Brazil. He was admitted to a Florida hospital Monday after complaining of intestinal pain, one day after his supporters stormed the government buildings in Brasilia. In Peru, at least 17 people were killed Monday after Peruvian security forces opened fire at anti-government protesters in the city of Juliaca. At least two teenagers were among the dead. Protesters are demanding the interim president, Dina Boluarte, resign. Some 40 people have died nationwide since mass mobilizations erupted in Peru last month following the ouster and arrest of the leftist former president, Pedro Castillo. Police in Juliaca reportedly opened fire as protesters tried to shield themselves with metal plates. 
I was holding my camera when a police officer asked me to kneel while pointing a gun at me. Then I heard a shot and I felt my foot blocked. Then I felt a cramp. I took four steps and I fell on the ground because I couldn't walk. Meanwhile, Peru's new government has banned former Bolivian President Evo Morales from entering Peruvian territory in what? response to Morales' support for Pedro Castillo. Morales is also accused huh. Dina Boluarte's government of human rights violations against right. protesters. Wow, Evo Morales can't, can't even go to his own fucking country? Three permits for Palestinian Foreign Minister up. Riyad al-Malki and three Fatah officials in retaliation for their effort to bring the illegal occupation of Palestinian territories to the International Court of Justice. This is Palestinian Foreign Ministry advisor Ahmed Abu. <laughs> These measures will not stop us. They will not stop the foreign minister and the Palestinian leadership from continuing our political and diplomatic legal efforts to protect the fair national legitimate rights of our people and to uncover the violations and the crimes of the occupation. Israel's security cabinet also moved to withhold $39 million in revenues from the Palestinian Authority and imposed a moratorium on Palestinian construction projects in the occupied West Bank. Meanwhile, Israel's national security minister, Itamar Ben-Gavir, has ordered police to remove Palestinian flags from public spaces, calling the display a, quote, form of supporting terror. Palestinian-American author Yusuf Munayir tweeted in response, quote, Israel holds an entire stateless nation under military occupation. They got enough nukes to start a regional conflagration, but they fear a piece of cloth, unquote. Over the weekend, thousands of people demonstrated in Tel Aviv against the new Israeli government and the increasing threat that poses to democracy and human rights. In California, authorities have ordered thousands of people in several counties evacuated after winter storms brought an atmospheric river of rain and snow to much of the state. Hardest hit was California's central coast, where coastal communities face flash flooding, landslides, and power outages. The death toll from winter storms rose to at least 14 Monday after two people were killed by falling trees. Some 8 million people in Los Angeles County were under a flash flood warning, while parts of Santa Barbara County received more than 7 inches of rain over a span of just 12 hours. Forecasters predict more relentless rain will hit California over the coming week. The White House has confirmed reports that classified documents were discovered in a former office space used by Joe Biden in Washington, D.C. as vice president. On Monday, Biden's lawyer said a small number of the documents were discovered in a locked closet as they were closing the Penn-Biden Center for Diplomacy and Global Engagement. It's not clear what the documents were related to. Biden's lawyers say they immediately notified the National Archives, which took possession of the records the next day. In 2018, then-President Trump signed a bill making it a felony rather than a misdemeanor to knowingly remove classified materials with the intent to retain them at an unauthorized location. Those convicted face up to five years in prison. Special counsel Jack Smith is currently investigating Trump for allegedly mishandling at least 325 classified documents seized by the FBI at Mar-a-Lago last August. Federal they were prosecutors planted. have issued like former President Trump's personal attorney 
Rudolph Giuliani, grand jury subpoenas, part of an investigation into Trump's fundraising efforts after the 2020 election. That's according to multiple news reports citing an unnamed person familiar with the matter. The Save America PAC received, well, raised over $250 million off Trump supporters on the false claim the 2020 election results were fraudulent. It's not clear how much of the money Trump's lawyers received, but one witness in the House January 6th committee, Giuliani asked to be paid $20,000 a day. Wasn't me. In Georgia, a special grand jury has wrapped up its probe of efforts by former President Trump and his allies to overturn the 2020 election. The decision whether to seek an indictment is now in the hands of Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis. Since June, the grand juries heard testimony from dozens of witnesses, including Rudy Giuliani and South Carolina Republican Senator Lindsey Graham. In January 2021, Trump told Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, quote, I just want to find 11,780 votes, the margin he would have needed to defeat Joe Biden in Georgia. Meanwhile, a federal judge in New York has delayed the unsealing of a deposition given by Trump in a lawsuit accusing him of defamation. Former magazine columnist E. Jean Carroll has accused Trump of raping her in the 1990s, which the former presidents denied. The lawsuit will be heard today by the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia, where Trump's lawyers will argue presidents can't be personally sued for statements made while in office. In California, community advocates are demanding justice for Keenan Anderson, a 31-year-old black father and high school English teacher who was killed by Los Angeles police January 3rd. Officers were called to the scene after a car accident was reported. As police attempted to arrest Anderson, he was tased for several minutes, tackled and pushed down on the pavement, handcuffed and restrained at the ankles. Anderson was then taken to the hospital where he died of cardiac arrest. The LAPD did not acknowledge Anderson's death until three days later. Patrice Cullors, author and co-founder of Black Lives Matter, said on Instagram, Anderson was her cousin. She wrote Monday, quote, Keenan deserves to be alive right now. His child deserves to be raised by his father, unquote. LAPD officers have killed at least three people so far in 2023. Data by the group Mapping Police Violence shows 2022 was the deadliest year on record for police violence as law enforcement killed at least 1,176 people across the United States. And here in New York, over 7,000 nurses at Mount Sinai Hospital in Montefiore Medical Center are striking for a second straight day, demanding higher wages, stable benefits, and more staffing support to cope with the growing number of patients. This is New York State Nurses Association President Nancy Haggins speaking from the picket line Monday. Nurses don't want to strike. We would rather be inside. Second care for patients. Right. In a safe manner, not the condition they have us working for the past five, ten years. Enough is enough, enough is enough. And those are some of the headlines. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman in New York, joined by Democracy Now! co-host Juan Gonzalez in Chicago, Illinois. Hi, Juan. Hi, Amy, and welcome to all of our listeners and viewers across the country and around the world. Well, we're going to be in today in Mexico. President Biden's meeting with the presidents of Mexico and Canada today for the North American Leaders Summit in Mexico City. Key issues on the table include migration, the economy, trade, and security. On Monday, Mexican President Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador welcomed Biden to the National Palace in Mexico City. 
Um, well, calls on Biden to invest more in Latin America and to end what he describes as decades of, quote, disdain by the U.S. towards the region. Exactly. I'm going to thank him for standing up for what's right. Telling it like it is, man. Abandonment, this disdain. And this forgetfulness for Latin America and the Caribbean, which is opposed to the policy of the good neighborhood, yeah. of the time, of freedom, and liberty, FDR, Franklin Delano, Roosevelt, and starting with you, because there would be no other leader that could implement this enterprise beginning with you to start a new stage with you Mr. President of the nations and the peoples of the continent as of respect and mutual aid and help and assistance President Biden you hold the key in your hand to open and to substantially improve the relationship among all the countries of the American continent during his meeting with the Mexican president, President Biden vowed to discuss ways to strengthen U.S. relations with Mexico. So today, uh, we're going to discuss how we can further deepen that relationship, not only in Mexico, but the Western Hemisphere. This includes strengthening our supply chains to make the hemisphere more competitive. We're also going to discuss our shared security, including our joint action to address the, the plague of fentanyl, which is killed 100,000 Americans so far, Here? and how we can tackle, tackle irregular migration, which I think we're well on our way to doing. Above all, we're both committed to pursuing a better future, one grounded on peace and prosperity for all of our people. The North American Leaders Summit comes just days after Biden announced the United States will start to block migrants from Haiti, Nicaragua, Venezuela, and Cuba from applying for asylum if they're apprehended crossing the U.S.-Mexico border. The move is an expansion of the contested Trump-era Title 42 pandemic policy. That's a violation of fucking international human rights. Less than a week after Mexico carried out a major military operation to arrest Lilia Usma. Why are you guys putting up with this fucking right-wing nuts in our Supreme Court? Colonizing the Supreme Court. They just trade their oath of office if you guys had any balls and you don't. You would all stand up and say, go fuck yourself, SCOTUS. Suck my nuts. Suck my big hairy monkey nuts. He won Mexico's national journalism Suck my award in 2021. And Erika Guevara Rosas is a suck human rights anus. lawyer and America's director and then for suck my International. We welcome you both to Democracy Now! Erika, let's begin with you. Can you talk about the significance of this summit and particularly the amnesty report that you just put out? President Biden came from That's the border. Just, if you guys had any uh, balls, Paso, um, you would all call the White House. Two, two. Has made as Four, five, six, one, 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 one. Uh, the border um, and made his way you to say, Mexico hey, City. Talk about so the president what of the people, right? Along the border well, how about you fucking do your job needs to happen to protect us? 
Amy, this summit is extremely important, particularly given the current state uh, in, in, in the Americas when the Lock up the criminals. experiencing. Gotta get those motherfuckers out of office. He won't recuse himself. Well, how about why doesn't Biden uh, fucking speak up and say something to him? Call him up. That's what Trump would the do. Americas, unfortunately, is. Uh, no law against calling up a fucking Supreme Court and asking if he resigns. And of many people that are seeking asylum precisely well, in six of them. the countries of origin. Unfortunately, these three Which governments, late? the North American no government, have implemented shared immigration policies aiming at deterring migration. Call, you got Scotus's number, I'm sure he's got particularly of those who are seeking asylum. The ability to find out for the first time the border. Clarence uh, Thomas' has direct phone number have a switchboard. Patch him in. And ask him to resign. Uh, and also fucking record uh, it. Say you're, you're, you, at bare minimum, you have to recuse yourself. That is a shared policy with the Mexican government you are that is uh, people from a disgrace to the highest court in the land. Your wife is complicit. Is an insurrectionist. Uh, and you're dealing with papers regarding your wife. In this case, you gotta fucking recuse yourself, motherfucker. And guess what? This is recorded, so um, you're, uh, you bet, it better be yes, or you're gonna have uh, help pay from the American people. That's what I would do. I wanted to ask you, motherfucker. Resign. President. Andres Manuel López Obrador, when he came into office, no for uh, promised a, a, a different treatment for migrants crossing through Mexico, yet Mexico has continued to militarize and and to uh, and to not be as hospitable as he would suggest, as his rhetoric would suggest. Can you talk about how the situation in Mexico uh, in terms of migrants has developed since AMLO came to office? ¡Papá, <laughs> Amnesty International institution that is uh, um, created to provide uh, international protection doesn't have the capacity because doesn't have the funding to be able to respond to the demand from people that are seeking asylum. So unfortunately, we are seeing a continuation of policies of former uh, government, but also a continuation of policies that are... Do, 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 do. Yeah like my animals better than people. Right, babies? <coughs> animals 
minutes. You've been cooler than almost so. Well, start with that place. Anyway, um, y'all still there? Because if you are, shout out to KAMP Student Radio at the University of Arizona. And keep your white teeth up, but y'all get tribal radio. Tribal radio. Numbers for just a show. Tribal radio. Tribal radio. Are violating the rights of people. I'd like to bring Elias Kamahi into the conversation as well. Uh, could you talk, you've been covering this summit uh, as, it, as it's developing. Uh, uh, talk to us about what you think are the main issues uh, that are that will be discussed by the three presidents. The main topics of the summit are the migrant crisis, of course, the war on drugs, and economic integration. And uh, we, we, it's been a, a very highly anticipated summit, but we are still waiting for concrete agreements on these issues, like um, this announcement of taking 30,000 people to the U.S. from Haiti, from Nicaragua, from Cuba, from Venezuela. This has a direct impact on the other side of the border. Um, we need to come out with uh, concrete, concrete actions um, on, on, on the field to, to avoid this humanitarian crisis to, to be bigger, right? So um, this, this day, this, this Tuesday, uh, seems to be a crucial day for the summit in order to have a more concrete uh, panorama of what's, what can be expected in our shared border, which is uh, 2,000 miles long. No, it, this is a geographical marriage. But sometimes the priorities and the impact are very different on each side of the border. So for, for us as Mexicans, we're expecting to see um, what's going to be the impact of, of receiving all the people who are not accepted to enter the U.S. and, uh, and to see uh, what are outrageous. we going to do because they are, they really? are going to be in, in, I don't know why you guys in, put up in with some of shit. the most dangerous play, uh, parts of the country, right? Stupid, I so guess. We need like to stupid. have more concrete outcomes and outputs of, of this summit, uh, especially in the upcoming hours. Yeah. Elias, you are no fucking a idea why y'all put up with this shit. in Mexico. Um, Mexico is one of the deadliest places to practice journalism in the world. Can you talk about why you think that is, what these leaders can do, and also uh, included in that, of course, the context of the so-called war on drugs and how it's fueled drug lords in Mexico? Of course, um, the, the, the situation here in Mexico is very uh, problematic for journalism. Um, President Biden um, should, should have... Um, should have a, a more intense role uh, uh, denouncing the situation the journalists are living here in Mexico. Uh, and in this summit, the, the, on the state level, the, the national level, the, the, the priorities are very important, right? Uh, and, and these factors also come in, into place. But also, there, there's a, an individual component, right? Um, there, there need to be 
a chemistry uh, with between Lopez Obrador and President Biden to translate these actions, to translate these agreements um, to to concrete actions on the field, right? Um, we we see how the the White House's policies have a direct impact, for example, uh, on the other side of the border. But uh, other national authorities uh, at the at the city level, at the at the state level, have to be taken into account as well, because there ne there need to be a, a, a conjunction of of interest and, and conditions for these people to have a more humane stay in Mexico. So uh, what we saw, for example, last week regarding security uh, with the capture of El Chapo's son was complete mayhem. We saw blockades, we saw gunshots, 29 people died, as you said, uh, uh, and there needs to be uh, a discourse that justifies become a why these actions were, were, were taken and, and how this is going to benefit the communities uh, living in the in the in the areas of the country that are mostly controlled by the drug cartels, right? So, in 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 the U.S., the for example, the opioid crisis is mainly a public health issue, right? But here on the other side of the border, where the consumption of fentanyl, for example, is very low, we need to have. Um, also a justification to be uh, carrying the, the heaviest burden uh, in, in this war against drugs, no? So that, that, that's what I could tell you right now. Yeah, I'd like to go back to Erika Guevara Rosas. Uh, what, what do you say to those people in the United States who, who would say that the more that the United States uh, opens its doors to asylum seekers and uh, uh, refugees and those crossing the border, the more people will come uh, from uh, Latin America, so given uh, the enormous disparities uh, in, uh, in uh, economic uh, standard of living as well as the uh, political problems uh, in Latin America. So what would you say to those folks? Well, Juan, uh, we have migration levels that are breaking record currently, not only in the U.S.-Mexico border, but across the continent. All these immigration policies aimed at deterring migration are not working. We are seeing it. People are simply taking more dangerous routes. They are putting themselves at risk precisely because these immigration policies are preventing them from accessing to the right to seek asylum in a secure way. Unfortunately, all these policies are violating the rights of people, not only because they are not able to access yeah. the right to seek asylum, but some of these people mm -hmm. have been uh, returned to the country when they are also experiencing massive human Take rights violations. We caused their problems. The international so they had to law, international human rights law, uh, that the United States Drug and other government supports are, are obliged to follow. It is important for people shit. in the United States to understand the implications of U.S. policy in many of these countries that in certain way are exacerbating the conditions that are forcing these people to leave their communities, to leave their countries, to cross the borders, and to seek safety for themselves and for their families. 
humane policies, policies that put in the center the human rights of these people are going to benefit not only people accessing the right to seek asylum, but also the communities of perception. We have seen it all over the world. We are seeing it in the, in the continent. I have just been in Colombia where I have seen that accepting, welcoming Venezuelan refugees, for instance, legalizing their condition, providing them with the conditions to exercise rights, including education, health, work, is improving not only their life, but also improving the conditions of living of the communities of reception. So it is important for people to understand that respecting the rights of people are also benefiting the communities that are welcoming these people, but also and more important to understand that these migration policies are violating the human rights of people and are violating the yeah. obligations of the United States toward its commitment on human rights. It. Erika, I wanted to ask you about the context in which this meeting of the three leaders is taking place further south, of course, Brazil. There, January 8th, perhaps worse than what happened in the United States, January 6th, the insurrection in Brasilia uh, that attacked three houses of government, the presidential palace, the Congress, the Supreme Court. Uh, President Biden spoke with uh, President Lula of Brazil on Monday after the violence. He invited him Both to the United arrow. States, uh, uh, which uh, for uh, early next month. He's so fucking um, corrupt. Can you talk about what you want to see? Uh, both Canadian Prime Minister Trudeau, President Biden, and so AMLO, the Mexican president, um, say about authoritarianism and this far-right domestic violence from Brazil to the United States. What do you want them to say? I mean, what happened in Brazil is very symptomatic of the state of the world and the state of our region. The increasing radicalization of anti-right, anti-democratic groups, movements that have been encouraged by political leaders to, you know, have these violent expressions. So the images that came from Brasilia uh, were very, very shocking and concerning because these are images that uh, remind us of the, the assault on the capital in the U.S. They are reminding us of many other incidents that are happening in many other countries across the continent. It is important that North American leaders commit themselves to democratic values, to commit themselves to put human rights at the center of their policies that really welcome uh, you know, the, the, the decision of people through the election process and to really support democratic values in those countries where yeah. unfortunately are undermining that. Uh, because people don't have options. And Elias Camaje, in a couple of minutes we have left, I wanted to ask you about the third topic of the summit, the one that hasn't gotten very much attention, which is a trade policy and economic integration. Uh, President Lopez Obrador has really made it a, a point of his administration to reestablish uh, national sovereignty by Mexico over its oil industry. This has the um, American business upset. Uh, and also <laughs> the, the second Welcome. version of, of NAFTA, which was approved under President Trump, had all kinds of uh, new regulations about uh, production of uh, automobiles, a portion of which had to be in the United States. That's also been uh, a, a bone of contention since then. Could you talk about these two issues and what you expect might come out of this summit? 
Sure, Juan. Uh, President López Obrador has faced a lot of criticism because of his energy policies, um, and he defends these policies by saying they, uh, they are necessary to have economic growth, economic development. So what they are trying to do is to combine um, the transition to clean energy uh, with economic integration. And there's, there's a plan between Arizona and Sonora on the other side of the border to increase the, the supply chain of semiconductors, for example. So the, the minerals key to this exploitation are, are, will be extracted from Mexico and taken to Arizona to, to have uh, more jobs, to have uh, uh, yeah. um, substantial benefits, uh, concrete benefits. In, on the economic side, and uh, here in Mexico, it is expected that uh, President, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, sorry, um, will will pressure will pressure on that because um, climate change and climate worries uh, are a priority for the U.S. and Canada, but not as much for Mexican government. So they are trying to combine these two factors under NAFTA, under under this well, umbrella you know. of NAFTA. And Erika Guevara Gozas, America's director for Amnesty International, both speaking to us from Mexico City. Next up, a hundred years ago this weekend, the Rosewood Massacre in Florida took place. An armed white mob attacked the predominantly black town in central Florida. We'll talk with the grandchild of a survivor. And then afterwards, Ben Jealous has a new memoir, and we'll speak with him. Stay with us. Oh, thanks for a billion subscriber. Over 30,000 listens on this podcast. cover all the pro-democracy podcasts. I used to work for Democracy Now. Well, I was an intern, film intern, and I did voice covers. And um, edited clips for the breaks like this. And I archived, I was their archivist. I archived all their documentaries, and I got to see their documentaries as well. I saw, watched as many as I could. I watched like six documentaries a day. <laughs> no lie. Um... I cover Magistat. I'm the Magistat producer. Oxford's and Berkeley and Tepe Medical University award-winning scholar researcher. 
La Vuelta, The Turn by Quetzal. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman with Juan Gonzalez. As we turn to look at the Rosewood Massacre, a hundred years ago this weekend, a white mob attacked and burned down the black town of Rosewood in central Florida. The racist mob murdered at least six black residents, forced the rest of the town to flee. Many eyewitnesses said the true death toll was far higher. The violence began after a white woman falsely accused a black man of assault nearby. By the time the massacre ended, every building in Rosewood except one had burned down. Oh, no law enforcement agency investigated the massacre. No one was ever charged with crimes. In 1994, the Florida legislature approved $2 million in compensation for nine survivors and dozens of descendants of the attack. According to the Southern Poverty Law Center, they were the only government reparations ever paid to victims of this anti-black racial violence in the U.S. In a moment, we'll be joined by a professor whose grandfather survived the Rosewood Massacre. But first, this is an excerpt from the trailer to the late director John Singleton's acclaimed 1997 film Rosewood, which helped bring greater attention to the massacre. In 1997 film Rosewood. We go now to Gainesville, Florida, about 45 miles from Rosewood, where we're joined by Jonathan Barry Blocker. He's visiting professor at University of Florida Law School, former staff attorney with the Southern Poverty Law Center. His grandfather, the late Reverend Ernest Blocker, survived the 1923 Rosewood Massacre. It's great to have you with us, Professor Barry Blocker. Welcome to Democracy Now! Tell us about how you learned about the massacre and what happened with your grandfather. Sure. Um, I learned about the massacre when I was 13, but in a very distant, disconnected way. Uh, my dad sat me down and said, hey, there's a movie coming out and people may ask some questions of you about it. Uh, your grandfather was involved, uh, but he's not going to answer questions, so don't ask him. And that was pretty much it, the end of the conversation. And so uh, I didn't initiate any communication. My dad has indicated uh, that at some point he forced my grandfather to try to talk to us about it. But I'm told that lasted all of five minutes and was very sparse on details, so didn't <laughs> register. Um, 
but it wasn't until college when I actually watched the movie uh, Rosewood because my folks didn't have me and my siblings watch it while we were growing Probably up. Fucking uh, but I came to appreciate exactly what happened, or at least the gist of what happened. Um, and so I don't know my grandfather's role. I don't know where he was uh, during all the violence and the mayhem. I just know that he and his family left after it um, and Moving never out. talked about it again, at least not amongst them. And what was your reaction, uh, Jonathan Barry Blocker, when you saw this yeah, film in college, probably not having known the story your entire it. growing up? Oh, I was irate. I was, I was, I was very upset uh, to see it depicted, the terror, the fleeing, the confusion, uh, the displacement. Uh, I did not leave campus for the entire weekend. And from what you know, uh, how were the facts uh, documented and uncovered that led to uh, Florida lawmakers approving uh, a first-time compensation or, or reparations to survivors here? As I understand things, uh, a journalist, Gary Moore, broke the story in the 80s. Uh, and then uh, one of the descendants, Arnett Doctor, pushed and advocated for compensation and reparations uh, and mobilized a lot of folks. Uh, to support him in that effort, and uh, that's what led to the study, and then eventually to the compensation package, or what we might call it reparations, uh, for some of the descendants and survivors. Okie doke, we're back. Let's get back to the show. Uh, Palm shorts. They were highly just prized, like my not Dr. only for B. their intelligence and athleticism, but also for their unique vocalizations, which is characterized by a lack of barking. Depicted in literature and artwork in Kemet, they were used for hunting and biting dogs. Kemites believed that they had magical abilities, could speak to the gods, and that they had healing properties. Huh. As time passed, the true origins of that breed became a mystery. Some experts believed that they had always been native to Egypt. But where did these mysterious dogs truly come from? In the late 1800s, Europeans discovered a new breed of dog in Africa. Locals called them Bissentian. After examining them, they noticed a remarkable likeness to dogs seen in kinetic artwork, but also in cave drawings from as early as 6000 BC all over North Africa. Wow. They both had curled tails and prick ears. It was the pharaoh's breed. But something else grabbed their attention. Contrary to their beliefs, Bissentians did not originate in Egypt. They originated in Central Africa, notably the Congo area. Another piece of evidence supporting the connection between Kemet and Inner Africa. You know this mysterious dog breed. They were highly prized not only for their intelligence is, and athleticism, but also for their unique vocalizations, which is characterized by a lack of barking. Depicted in literature and artwork in Kemet, they were used for hunting and guarding roles. Kemites believed that they had magical abilities, could speak with the gods, and that they had healing properties. They As time passed, the true origins of that breed became a mystery. Dr. Baker. You know this mysterious. So, what's uh, Pharaoh's favorite dog? So, what what did they call it? Ramses the third was E one B one A. That's a haplogroup that comes from Inner Africa. You never let them tell you the ancient Egyptians were in Africa because they were a lot of the cultures still being practiced within Africa where it originated. Everything that made Kemet great came from within the African continent from the different Black African ethnic groups. Never outside. Great video. My Dr. Baker looks exactly like this breed of dog, comma, what is its name? What did the Egyptians call them? Question mark.
And exclamation point. They all look very similar, don't they? Question mark. See what else they say. Your research is so meticulous, very powerful information. These dogs are everywhere in Afri West Africa. I grew up living with these dogs. Never know they are ancient. What beautiful dogs like our true native dingo. No barking in the same beautiful pointed face. For some strange reason, they are always present at funerals, weddings, and our other traditional ceremonies. Whatever the function is there, they're watching. In rural farmland communities, they run in packs and are known to attack wild boars and pythons. They do make for very good watchdogs, always alert and fearless. The dogs are everywhere in South Africa. Yeah. One tunnel, Billy, goes and you can't see the bottom of it. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to see that in a second. I've got some images. What uh, spacecraft hidden the below the Sphinx? First tunnel. Well, underneath the Great Sphinx, there's a lot of tunnels. Some of them lead out for miles underneath Giza. And according to the animal tablets, both claims have hidden a ship of some type underneath the Sphinx. There have been ground penetrating radar reports stating that about a mile down, there's a massive cavern or some kind of opening with something underneath the Sphinx. Nobody's been given access to go that deep. When you say ship, yeah. ship from the water or ship as in a craft? Well, he calls it a ship that has the capability of battling an invader from the space, deep, and he's talking about deep space. Right, so I don't think it's a ship that sailed it on the ocean. I think it's a spaceship of some type. He says the one that is the wisest will be able to free the ship and defeat the enemy with ease. One tunnel, Billy, goes straight down, yep. and you can't see the bottom of it. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to see that in a second. I've yep. got some images. What, uh, what's at the bottom of that first tunnel? Well, underneath the Great Sphinx, there's a lot of tunnels. Some of them lead out for miles underneath the Giza. And according to the tablet, there's a ship of some type. Underneath the Sphinx, there have been ground penetration. Edgar Casey talked about it.
Interesting radar report stating that, according to numerous rock images have also shown celestial movements and solstice. A specific site is an astronomical observatory similar to Stonehenge. It has been speculated by some authors that specific images are pictures of extraterrestrial visitors. Elephants, dinosaurs, and ibex appear in other images, creatures that seem out of place in time and space. Petroglyph images may also be related to giant puppets of the American Southwest known as intagliers, which are visible only from the air. A visit to the American Southwestern deserts would not be complete without viewing petroglyphs. If you want to find these sites, consult travel guides, local chambers of commerce and museums, or contact the National Park Service. To preserve rock art for future generations, it is strongly recommended that you do not touch or walk on According to archaeoastronomers, numerous rock images have also shown celestial movements. I have a prediction for you for your net work. We're putting these large monocrops, we're putting acres and acres of the same thing that need bees to pollinate, for example, almonds. Um, almonds are almost entirely dependent on bees for pollination. And so we would have no almonds if we didn't have bees, and we're shipping our bees across the country, you know, to, to pollinate the almond crops in California and maybe up to the apples in, in New York. And we're putting them in these areas where they only have one food source, which isn't healthy for them or for anybody. They only have it for a short period of time. So, you know, they can only collect food there for a little while, and they may or may not have pesticides sprayed on them collected. But at the end of the day, these weren't entirely dependent on bees for pollination. And so we would have no almonds if we don't have bees. And we're shipping our bees across the country, you know, to, to pollinate the almond crops in California, the apples in New York. And we're putting them in these areas where they only have one food source, which isn't healthy for them or for anybody. They only have it for a short period of time. So let's be there for a little while. And there may or may not have Pesticides, you counterfeited ten Michael billion Saylor, dollars Sam in one year. If you could counterfeit, Sam Bankman if, Fried. You know, if you created ten, it's a, look, you have a three hundred million to FTT tokens. Move the price thirty bucks. Do the math, right? It, thirty dollars on a token when you give yourself three hundred million of them is ten billion, and that's just one token. So, if you fall off the turnip truck and you find that you can generate $10 billion in a year, what do you do? You go buy everybody. You buy every influencer, you buy every politician, you buy every celebrity, you buy the stadium, you buy all of Albany, you buy the government, you buy the, everything that's for sale, right? It's hard to find a crypto influencer that didn't take FTX money, but he hired everybody. Go as fast as you can. How much can you spend, a billion in a year? Two billionaires, they thought they had found the fountain of money, right? They counterfeited $10 billion in one year.
if you could counterfeit, if, yeah, if you created online cookouts, look, you might call it Earth's natural. He counterfeited ten. I call it Earth's natural internet. This, this is a, these are membranes that are literally sensitive. I think they're sentient. They respond to every footprint that we take on this planet. Their network-like design allows them to respond to catastrophia. The mycelial networks. They're so dense in the soil, and they have literally hundreds of billions of tips. And as these tips are growing out, they tend to be polynucleate. It allows them to upregulate new enzymes, acid sequences, etc. So if there's a new ecological challenge, a new food source, a new toxin, or something, these fungal networks have great plasticity and being able to code for new sequences from their DNA. So all you need is one of those hundreds of billions of tips to find a new enzyme to break down a toxin or a new food source. And what happens then is that information is incorporated genetically into the mycelial network, and the mycelium then surges because it has new food. It benefits from that tip exploration and discovery. Called Earth's natural internet. This, this is a, these are membranes that are literally sensitive. I think they're sentient. They respond to every footprint that we take on this planet. Their network-like design allows them to respond to catastrophia. The mycelial networks, they're so dense in the soil, and they have uh, literally hundreds of billions of tips. And as these tips are growing out, they tend to be polynucleate. It allows them to upregulate new enzymes, acid sequences, etc. So if there's a new ecological challenge, a new food source, a new toxin, or something, these fungal networks have great plasticity and being able to code for new sequences from their DNA. So all you need is one of those hundreds of billions of tips to find a new enzyme to break down a toxin or a new food source. And what happens then is that information is incorporated genetically. Did Russian scientists find a hyper-intelligent bee monster in Antarctica? In 1974, Russian scientists at the Vostok Research Outpost Station discovered that there was actually a subglacial lake two miles beneath them. But it was only 30 years later when they breached the ice. The first team of divers to explore the lake encountered a 33-foot-long, 14-tentacle squid that released a toxin into the water to immobilize three members of the expedition team, eventually killing them. And it was only after returning with backup that the scientists were able to cage the creature. However, on return to the surface, the creature now dubbed Organism 46B was seized by the Russian officials, and the team was told to keep this quiet. Till this day, no one knows where Organism 46B is, but rumor has it the creature is currently being experimented on by the military in Russia, awaiting weaponization. So, Russian scientists find a hyper-intelligent sea monster in Antarctica. In 1974, Russian scientists at the Vostok Research Outpost Station discovered that there was actually a subglacial lake two miles beneath them, but it was only 30 years later when they breached the ice. The first team of divers to explore the lake encountered a 33-foot-long, 14-tentacle squid that released a toxin into the water to immobilize three members of the expedition team, eventually killing them. And it was only after returning with backup that the scientists were able to cage the creature. However, upon return to the surface, the creature now dubbed Organism 46B was seized by the Russian officials, and the team was told to keep this quiet. Till this day, Found this no one knows where the rabbit hole is official.
trajectory was designed in a very special way that allowed it to pass near all the habitable planets when they came close to it. No gravity assist. No, the only thing is that it exhibited an Sky, excess yeah. push away from the sun without showing a cometary tail. And the question was what pushed it? And we suggested maybe it's the reflection of sunlight. And then in September, another object that exhibited an excess push away from the sun by reflecting sunlight, no cometary tail. And after a few weeks, the astronomers who discovered it with the same telescope in Hawaii uh, realized that it's actually a rocket booster launched in 1966 by NASA. And so it had thin walls and therefore a large area for its mass. And we know that we produce this object artificially. Trajectory was designed in a very special way that allowed it to pass near all the habitable planets when they came close to it. No gravity assist. No, the only thing is that <laughs> it exhibited an excess push away from the sun without showing a cometary tail. <laughs> and the question was, what pushed it? And we suggested maybe it's the reflection of sunlight. And then in September 2020, there was another object that exhibited an excess push away from the sun by reflecting sunlight, no cometary tail. And after a few weeks, the astronomers who discovered it with the same telescope in Hawaii uh, realized that it's actually a rocket booster launched in 1966 by NASA. And so it had thin walls and therefore a large area for its mass. And we know booster. that we produce this object artificially. Trajectory. Any civilization that can harness the Planck energy. So we physicists theorize how advanced do you have to be to access the Planck energy? Well, we rank them. The Kardashev scale says that there could be type 1, type 2, or type 3 civilizations. A type 1 civilization is maybe a hundred years more advanced than us, to maybe a thousand years. They control the weather, volcanoes, earthquakes, anything planetary they control. Then there's type 2. Type 2 is stellar. They harness the power of an entire star. Then there's type 3. Type 3 is galactic. They roam the galactic space lanes. They play with black holes. Then the next question is, how long will it take before you become type 3? Uh, we are maybe 100 years away from being type 1. Or maybe a few thousand. Any civilization. People will realize we've been altered, genetically modified. Our lifespans have been short so that we can duplicate it and move over. Now, 200,000 years ago is when the tablets occurred at the Tower of Babel incident, which made it into the modern-day Bible, the Tower of Babel. Yahweh comes back and he sees the people building a tower into the heavens, and he gets pissed off, and he destroys the tower, and he said, I'm, that's it, man's years will be 120. You'll never live more than that. Before then, people were living for hundreds of years. Chromosome number two in the human body was pulled out, and then two cellular chemicals, and allowed ourselves to replicate as the biological buffer material is. When the buffer material runs out, that's when your body starts a death process. Now the maximum lifespan that they found out is... Here we go, here we go.
Now the maximum lifespan that they found out in Harvard that a human being could live on average would be 120 for the poison and everything else. And they discovered they started experimenting with mice. And they were able to stop the degradation of the telomeres. We got the mice to live three times their normal lifespan. People would realize we've been altered, genetically modified. Our lifespans have been short so that we can be subjugated and ruled over. Now, around 200,000 years ago is when the tablet occurred at the Tower of Babel incident, which made it into the modern-day Bible. The Tower of Babel. Yahweh comes back and he sees the people building a tower into heaven. He falls and he destroys the tower and he says, I'm, that's it, man's years will be 120. You'll never live more than that. Before then, people were living for hundreds of years. Chromosome number two in the human body pulled out and then two telomere caps put on each hand that allow our cells to replicate. It has the biological buffer material in it. When the buffer material runs out, that's when your body starts the death process. Now the maximum lifespan that they found out at Harvard that a human being could live on average would be 120 if it wasn't for the poison and everything else going on. And they discovered they started experimenting with mice and they were able to stop the degradation of the telomeres and got the mice to three times their normal lifespan. People would realize we've been altered, genetically modified, our lifespans have been short, subjugated and ruled over. Now around 200,000 years ago is when the tablet state has occurred and the Tower of Babel is sitting Yahweh comes back. You yes. basically sank any hope that you had of the president because you opened up the discussion that many people are not aware of about a prosecution record and the things that she's done that are absolutely illegal. Yeah. Like forcing people to work as labor, as cheap labor for the state to fight wildfires after they're supposed to be released. Exactly. They did their time. They did their time and she kept them in prison to use them essentially as slave labor for the state putting their own lives at risk, forcibly. The, the thing about um, my exchange with her on that stage, um, when you take a step back, you got a question, like, all of those things I brought up on her record, easily Googleable on the first page all right. when you look at Kamala Harris's record. All of those things, I'd have to dig very deep to see what those issues were. People would realize we've been altered genetically. Uh -oh. And the stand for this one. Um, this one has a stand. All right. Okay. This one has a stand. Okay. Thank you. Here's some uh, marigold uh, manila vining plantain that you like. Um, did you say it was edible? The manila? No, you want to, oh, you want to, hi guys. Hi, rock, 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 rock. It's a pretty vining one. It's got these, uh, I want to say it's in the Ipamoa family. Hey, you made that now. Yeah. <laughs> Hi little cheeky cheeky. Hi little Hey guys, what are you doing? Uh-huh. I used to use it for baby kids. I'd lay it outside and uh with the door open on the top and then I could reach, reach in. in. Yeah, 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 that's a good idea. Nice. Nice. Baby's what? Baby sparrows. Oh. It's like a trap. It's a trapper. Oh, it's a cage. They're transport cages. Oh. 
Um, the, we have a neighbor that we Oh, wow. Um, oh, that's awesome. Oh. Oh, oh, maybe while uh, let's see what, what are these lovely little guys. Maybe uh, um, yeah. I can get uh, Anthony to bring these up. For... I have these guys. Get him out. Well, thank you. Thanks so much. Yeah, I, I need because Dan bought that and they have to be in cages at night or, or they're just mad. <laughs> yeah, so. It's like, you know, painfully fucked out over and over again. <laughs> Everything's got to be locked up. Yeah. But these are the bobcats. Yeah, they are incredibly stealthy. Oh, really? Because like the bobcat is so stealthy that even my dogs look. I don't know what's going on. Change a lot, huh? <laughs> they are so dumb, those guys. But they're funny. They're they're they're. But they're about as dumb as the chickens probably get. <laughs> hey, uh, you know you wanna? Those are chickens. Are those chickens? We could keep them, keep them here. Um, um, Just so you know, the yokels tend to be very, very mellow personalities. I had a little baby killed one of the yokels. That size. That killed one of these guys. Really? Wow. Cornered him and beat him. Beat him. Right there. 
my pot. Yeah, put the little ones in here or something. What, what, you got a little one? No, these are just, these are pretty good size. Oh, okay. They're pretty good size girls. They're just very, really, very really mellow. Oh, that's probably I mean, the, that, that bigger, the bigger one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I don't know. I think there's paper I can put down. Right. Yeah, it's pretty gaudy, but... Ah. <laughs> okay, I was going to do this anyway. indestructible compared to other paper. White Trumpies. White Trumps. <laughs> White Trumps. Yeah, the, the Look orange guy. Look at hi. Look at you. One of, these, oh, one of these guys fly. was the daddy. Daddy of that boy. How are you doing with the boy? Oh, oh, look at the curls on that girl. That's so That's beautiful. Girl. Oh my gosh. Thank you. I love these so guys. beautiful. They're, uh, very docile though, and they get killed killed very easily. Aww. So the um, I'll figure out a way to make it. One of the Kimmy's little bitty little bitty rooster like that. I couldn't believe he freaking killed him. It's like God. Uh, awesome. Awesome. Okay, and yeah, you wanted uh, this big girl over here. Remember? Hi, sweetheart. Guess what? You're going home today. Oh, she's very beautiful. Yeah. Just like my Guinness. I'll show you, show you my Guinness. You want to go ahead and grab her? Come my girl. Oh, I'll try. Come here, sweetheart. Come here, sweetie pie. What are you doing, huh, girl? Oh, you're my sweetie girl. Hi, Hermes. Isn't he beautiful? It's too small. This is too small for him now, huh? Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, I'm concerned about that. I'm, I'm, I'm fixing those cages. I, I'm still recovering from that pig, man. <laughs> you, you just have a kind heart. That's your. Thank you. Uh, thank you for being my beautiful Hermes. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make sure you get a better, nice, prettier cage. Okay. Sorry about this. You're very beautiful. You deserve much better, my sweethearts. Oh. Yeah, when I gave him to you, I had him, I got an hold of that pig sanctuary, and they were supposed to come get him, they were going to neuter him, and all this stuff, and I uh -huh. thought, oh, wait, I should see a Krista once Yeah, it's, I mean, you were just doing the kind-hearted thing, but that, man, that was the worst pet I've ever had, that's really sick. That thing cost me, like, my Zaphod. I was Zaphods. I love the Zaphods. Tell me what you're bad about Zaphods. You said, love that shit. Yeah, he's my beautiful Zaphods. Our beautiful Zaphods.